Okay, good afternoon, everyone. I knew it was going to be tough competing with a relationship seminar at a youth conference. And I kind of aimed some of my talk, especially the second one, at youth, because that's the audience. Um, but uh, I think it applies to all of us. My name, my name is Mike Orlich. For those of you who haven't met me before, I'm a physician and I currently work at Loma Linda University, trained in family medicine and preventive medicine. And I am also uh, training in epidemiology, which is the study of disease patterns, why different groups of people get diseases. So this afternoon we'll be continuing with the health topic. And in my two seminars, I wanted to try to give a big picture in both a philosophical way or a theological way and in a practical way. So that if you didn't hear anything else about health, that, that this would hit a lot of bases. So I'll give a little introduction, then I'll go into the first talk. I did uh, some training under Dr. Pippum, and if any of you are familiar with him, he, he does about 45-minute introductions, and then he says, before we begin, let us pray. <laughs> so my introduction won't be that long. But as you know, Seventh-day Adventists have a special health message. Now, if you think about it, most Christians, and in fact, most people in general, care about health. You think of sayings like, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so it's important to a lot of people. So what's so unique about the Adventist consideration of health? I think that to the extent that we believe that the message or the doctrine or teaching of health is an integral part of the whole gospel message is what makes the Adventist view of health different. And so I want to explore with you, try to explore the Adventist doctrine of health from a biblical perspective and from a thoughtful perspective and ask some of the difficult questions and try to get a sense of how it all fits together. We talk about the importance of health, and then we talk about other things, but how does it all fit together? Now, when we talk about the health message, we're often referring to the, the revelations given to Ellen White, the special message of health given to the end-time church. But this message pointed back to biblical truths that had not been given attention for a long time, and the, the Bible is to provide the basis of the health message. So we'll be looking mostly from a biblical perspective. So I think that if you have a doctrine, you should expect at least two things from it, probably more, but number one, it should make sense. When you look at the Bible evidence, it should be compelling and it should fit together with the whole picture of God and his character and salvation. Secondly, especially when you're talking about a topic as practical as health, you want it to work. You want it to actually make a difference in your life and not just be theoretical. So that's the two approaches that I want us to take this afternoon. So the title of my first presentation is getting philosophical, making sense of the health message. And if philosophical scares you, I'm just using that broadly, just thinking about it. Okay. Um, and the second one will be getting practical, making the health message work. So the first one, we kind of want to look at the overall biblical picture and say, what really is the role of the health message? And what are some important things to understand to make it make sense? And then the second one will be kind of a high-yield health tips for young people. What can I focus on that will really make a difference in my life as far as health goes? 
So that'll be kind of the Cliff Notes version of health, practically. So that's the end of the introduction. Before we go on, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are our creator and our God, that you are the source of all life and the source of health and strength. We pray that as we think about health a little bit today and what your word has to say and how it all fits together, that your spirit will be here and guide us and help us to come to some good conclusions. Help this to be something that maybe we'll understand a little better today or in a way that's helpful to us and maybe in a way that we can share with others as well as they have questions. And I pray especially that uh, you would be with me as I present and help me to be clear and also be with each person and may they find something useful in this presentation. And I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Okay. Uh, just a, one more technical announcement. The first part of the seminar is not going to be PowerPoint-based, so I'm just going to be talking. The second part will. So for now, I'll just leave up the pictures. Are they still going? Oh, you turned it off. Okay. Well, you got to see a few of them. Um, those are from a patient of mine when I was a physician up at Weimar, and she took up photography as a hobby in her 50s took some evening classes, and so it's just amazing. Never think that uh, you're too old to learn or too old to get into something new. There's so much of life left to explore. All right. Perhaps you've run across some challenging questions when it comes to health and the Bible. Maybe some of your Christian friends who are not Seventh-day Adventists have asked you some questions or brought up some objections. I know that's happened with me. For example, why wasn't Jesus a vegetarian? If we are saved by grace, what difference does healthy living really make eternally? Jesus said it's not what enters a man's mouth that defiles him, but what comes out of his mouth. But you're always focused on what's going in your mouth. Why spend so much energy and effort focusing on temporal health when we should be focusing on the gospel and eternal life? Doesn't the Bible say that bodily exercise profits little? <laughs> How do we respond to such questions, many times sincere questions or objections? Does the health message really make sense? Is it biblical? How important is it? And how does it relate to the gospel, to the plan of salvation, to the big picture? So let's look at a biblical philosophy of health. Here's a question for you. What do you think is the most important verse in the Bible when it comes to health? This is not totally rhetorical, so if you think of one that you, you think may be the most important. Third John 2? Okay. Um, yeah, let's look that up. Okay. I have that in here. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. That's a good one. Anybody else? Any other candidates? I thought of a few possibilities that might be suggested. How about 1 Corinthians 6.19? 1 Corinthians 6.19. 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? It's a good one, isn't it? Um, here's another possibility. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. 1 Thessalonians 5.23. Actually, I saw this on a 
sort of a billboard in a construction area at Loma Linda Hospital the other day. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good one? And uh, here's another good one. Romans 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So some really good verses. But when I think about it, I have another verse that I think is perhaps the most important when it comes to a Bible philosophy of health. And I think you may be surprised by this verse, but it'll be very, very familiar to you. And it's Genesis 2, if you want to look, Genesis 2. And verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature, or in the King James, a living soul. I think this is really one of the most important verses when, it, when we try to understand health in the Bible. Now, what's so important about this verse? I think there are two major competing theories that apply to health about the nature of man. And one is a dualistic theory, and the other I'll call a holistic theory. Have you heard of dualism? How many people are familiar with that concept? A good number. We usually talk about it when we're talking about the state of the dead, and we refer to ideas about dualism. Who has an idea what is dualism? Anybody? Take a stab at it. David. The body is separate from the soul. Mm-hmm. They're separate things, and they may not even get along well. Mm-hmm. They're fundamentally different and, and separate. The body and the soul are different. And platonic philosophy uh, proposed dualism. And um, if you think of some of Plato's concepts and Greek thought, they were always worried about the, the perfect world kind of behind the world. You know, you've, seen, you've drawn a lot of circles in your life, but you've never drawn a perfect circle. But somewhere out there is a, is a true perfect circle, and that inhabits one realm, and all the imperfect circles are just expressions in our world, in our physical world, of that true perfect circle. And that's kind of this concept of platonic dualism. And this got incorporated into mainstream Christian theology when it comes to the nature of man, so that we have a body, and then we a physical body, and then we have a non-physical soul that is immortal and fundamentally different from the body. And in that dichotomy of physical body and non-physical soul, which one gets all the importance? The soul, right? That's what we're about, saving souls. Holism, on the other hand, views this as one entity, body, mind, spirit, soul, all unified. Sure, they have different functions, there are different attributes, we can think of them as different concepts, but man is a whole being, an integrated whole being. And this verse that we just read is the fundamental basis for that belief, that when God created man, he took the elements of the earth and he took the vital energies that he provided and he created a living being with body, with understanding, with ability to communicate with him and relate to him spiritually, to be creative, to have individuality. This was the human soul. And the body was an essential part of that. So 
these two ideas are quite distinct and they have implications. So dualism, for example, says the real man, real man is a non-physical entity. The body's just sort of not very important. The real man is the soul. Uh, holism says that the real man is a physical entity. Now, we've already mentioned that this belief is very important for how you view the nature of man and the nature of death. What does it mean then to die? But it has implications beyond that too. For example, you think of the current controversies in creation and evolution. You know, maybe you're struggling with some of the scientific evidence and you want to believe in the Bible and you're an Adventist and, and you're saying, but I think evolution happened. Most, most of us have a hard time having those two things be compatible as Seventh-day Adventists. It's like mixing oil and water. But, you know, the Catholic Church navigated that tricky water quite easily um, because they can just say, well, all of that evolution happened before there was a soul. And then God implanted a soul in man at a certain point in evolution. And that's what we're concerned about is the soul not all of that body stuff. So there are a lot of implications of this concept. Dualism says that the body is like a house and holism says that the body is the whole man. Dualism says that faith and spirituality operate in a non-physical realm. Whereas holism says that faith and spirituality are outgrowths of the functioning of a physical organism. Dualism says that the physical body doesn't really matter, mostly. Or sometimes that the physical body could be the enemy. Whereas holism says that the physical body affects the spiritual man because it's all part and parcel. And so the physical body is important and valuable and needs to be taken care of. Dualism says that our approach to the body should be either indifference or subjugation or denial. And a lot of ascetic practices, if you think of monastic traditions, asceticism are these uh, strict and severe practices. Think of uh, flagellations or that type of thing where you're really wanting to kind of get the body out of the way so that you can have the pure communion of the soul. Holism, on the other hand, says that our approach to the body should be optimal care and cultivation. So the conclusion then for dualism, for health, is that physical health is irrelevant to salvation and probably irrelevant in the eternal picture. Whereas holism says that physical health is important in salvation. So that is a take-home point that I'd like you to think of today uh, the, the concept of Genesis 2, verse 7, not only being foundational for our understanding of the state of the dead, state of man in, in life and then in death, but also for our view of health. And once you get that picture and you're convinced that the biblical approach is a holistic approach and not a dualistic approach, that'll affect how you see everything else about health. And your overall philosophy of health as a Christian or your theology of health does affect how you live and the results. You can compare different religions and kind of see how their philosophy affects their outcomes. So the most unhealthy religion in the United States is the Southern Baptists. And, um, there may be some confounders there, if some of you know about that concept, because the South is kind of the most unhealthy region, and there may, may be some racial and ethnic confounders there too, but it's interesting to note that they take a pretty diehard stance of a dualistic approach to the body and the soul. Okay, let's turn now to what role does health play in the gospel story? Well, Take a step back and ask, what do we mean by health? Health, the root word, is the same root word for whole. So Loma Linda's motto is to make man whole, 
and that's appropriate um, because that's what health is all about. So health, then, is really a state of wholeness, a state of completeness, a state of perfect, harmonious functions of the body, and a freedom from disease. Disease being something, some condition that would disrupt this wholeness, disrupt this harmonious condition. Now, if you think of it in the history of the universe, when did we as humans have perfect health? In the Garden of Eden, right? That's pretty obvious. And when did we cease to have perfect health? After sin, at the fall. And will we ever have perfect health again? And when can we hope to have perfect health again? At the resurrection, in heaven and in the new earth. Now, does that sound similar to something? Let's see, everything was good before the fall in the Garden of Eden, and then the fall messed things up, and everything will get restored um, in heaven and in the new earth. I mean, that's pretty much the plan of salvation, isn't it? Um, our spiritual connection with God was good when he created us, and then we fell through sin, and that was disrupted, and he's put a plan of salvation in place to be able to restore us once again to that perfect communion with him. That's the gospel. And so the reality of health closely parallels the reality of our spiritual condition as humans. And so you would think then that health and the gospel should be related. Makes sense to me. I don't know about to you. So how does health relate to the gospel? Well, as we said, it closely parallels or mirrors the spiritual condition of being lost or being saved. And it is ultimately a reflection of spiritual realities. And people have recognized this for a long time. That's why the disciples asked Jesus about the man that was born blind, and they said, is it his sin or is it his parents' sin? They were asking the wrong question, but they were on the right track to be connecting sin with poor health. But they weren't thinking of it in the big picture ultimate sense. If you think about it, disease and death, of course, which is the product of disease, death is the ultimate opposite of good health, right? And disease is the strongest reminder, an inescapable reminder in our world of our fallen state and thus our need and our sinful condition. If, think about it for a second, if we had perfectly good health in this world, how would our attitude be towards sin? It's, you, you can't really think of that because it's impossible. Yeah, it, it's actually a, a service to us. You know, when God gave the curses in Genesis 3, those were terrible things to happen to humanity. But there was a blessing within those curses as well. Because, you know, that childbearing pain and that pain in the gardening and all the disease and all of that, that's a reality check. And it tells us that all is not well in the spiritual realm. So clearly, the health closely parallels the gospel, and we'll talk a little bit more about salvation issues in a little bit. The next thing I want to turn to is Jesus and health. I remember a lady who had Adventist co-workers, and she was a born-again evangelical Christian. And she liked to say, you Adventists have vegetarianism and I have Jesus. It's probably not a very good attitude, but, um, and hopefully it shouldn't be that way. But what about Jesus and health? Do the Gospels spend much time describing Jesus' diet and health habits? 
Admittedly, I would say no, not much. But what does Jesus have to teach us about health then? I would propose that he teaches us a great deal about health. And he teaches largely through his actions rather than his words. Think about it. Through the incarnation, he teaches us that God, the God of the universe, can inhabit human body, can become one with a human body. And that term incarnation, anybody speak Spanish? Nobody? How do you say meat? Carne. Okay, incarnation. Okay, in fleshing is what that means. God entering into flesh, entering into a human body. So that tells us um, that the body really can play a part in the spiritual realm. Through Jesus' ministry, he teaches us that sin and disease are inextricably linked and that forgiveness and healing go hand in hand. They're kind of like a left hand and a right hand. So you think of his ministry of healing, supernatural healing, and his forgiveness. And when he says, which is easier, to say your sins be forgiven you or to say arise, get up and walk? That healing ministry and that forgiving ministry are two sides of a coin. The gospel is about ultimate healing and ultimate forgiveness. And he teaches us that human health is a high priority for God. Jesus didn't have to go around healing people. If that was so worthless and so unimportant when compared to spiritual realities and the greater spiritual world, then why did Jesus go around healing things that would eventually just die anyway? Our health is very important to God. Then through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus demonstrated that in offering oneself to God, it includes offering one's body. Jesus offered himself by offering his health, by offering his body. Remember Romans 12:1 that we talked about earlier? I beseech you, therefore, brother, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. It gives new meaning then when you think about it that way. Jesus presented his body as a sacrifice. And then in his resurrection, he teaches us that eternal life or eternal salvation, ultimate salvation, because we can say that we're saved by grace now, but we're really ultimately saved in, in the new world in glorification, fully, completely, irrevocably. So he teaches us that that salvation or that eternal life is synonymous with the restoration of the body because Jesus was resurrected bodily, right? And um, he still bears the scars, in fact, in his flesh that he took on. So they're kind of deep thoughts, maybe a little bit abstract, But I think if you think about it closely, we can agree that Jesus teaches us a lot about the reality of health and the body and how it fits. That the physical body and thus physical health is very important to God. That sin and health or sin and disease are closely linked. That physical health and healing are tied up with spiritual health and forgiveness and that the body is not truly temporal, temporal meaning temporary, Um, but it's meant to be eternal. We were created with bodies that were supposed to be eternal, and when in that moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're given new bodies, but it's just like um, the earth is gonna be the new earth, right? But it's not like, the, um, everything is made perfect again. You know, it's like God's creation restored. And I think it's similar with our bodies. 
doesn't mean that he just goes off in another part of the galaxy and creates another new Earth and drops us all there. He remakes this Earth like it's new. Same thing with our bodies. So our bodies are supposed to be eternal. And we shouldn't just think of them as temporary baggage. Okay, so that's kind of a little deep. Um, but, you know, speaking more practically, if Adventists are right about health, and health is so important, like you're saying, and Jesus is an example of health and his incarnation and crucifixion, the, and, and you guys have your understanding right, why did Jesus eat meat and drink wine? For example, Matthew eleven eighteen to 19. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He hath a devil. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Behold, a man gluttonous and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners, but wisdom is justified of her children. The wine question is a little difficult, and I'm not actually going to try to answer it here. Sorry about that. Um, I don't believe that Jesus used or made alcoholic wine, and if you believe in the prophetic ministry of Ellen White, she states that clearly. If you want to study this from a biblical perspective, it's a little more intense. Um, I know Samuel Bakayoki wrote a book about this a few years ago. I haven't read it. I read the, the reviews on the cover, but I've never bought it and read it yet. But uh, if you're interested in studying that topic, that's a good place to start, I think. But clearly, um, even if Jesus didn't, didn't uh, drink alcoholic wine, just leave that aside, and it was just pure grape juice, he certainly ate meat, right? I mean, I don't think we can dispute that. He ate the Passover meal, and the, the focus of that was the lamb, and then he's cooking the fish for the disciples. We have every reason to believe that he ate meat. So why didn't Jesus eat the best diet? the original Eden diet, since we have just established that he placed great value on human health. Anybody know? If anybody knows for sure, let me know. Short, honest answer is we don't know, um, or at least I don't know for certain. But here are some thoughts about that. My suspicion is that a vegan diet, certainly, or even a vegetarian diet for Jesus would have been less healthful at that time, uh, probably for him and for most people due to nutritional inadequacy of the diet. Uh, certainly that would be true of a vegan diet as uh, we have no reason to believe that he would have been able to get B12 and we know about that now, but we've only known about that within the last hundred years. And I think that relates to some of Ellen White's statements about milk and eggs and saying, you know, don't leave these off too soon. Don't have an impoverished diet. But if you think about it, we're kind of spoiled and we're used to having all this immense variety. We can get all sorts of grains and different types of nuts and beans and all sorts of vegetables from all over. But uh, last summer I was in Chad in Africa, and they pretty much eat the same thing every day, you know, for the two meals a day, like a rice meal in the morning, and then this sort of millet ball and some kind of stew stuff with it <laughs> in the evening. Not very appetizing, I can assure you. So uh, on the plane ride back, as I stopped through Paris, it was just wonderful. Oh, all the food. But uh, I think Jesus had a little, little better there in Palestine in that day, but they still had a fairly limited diet. And, you know, they had access to some fruits and vegetables, but probably not like we're familiar with. So that's my suspicion, is that God waited to a time in human history um, before the end of time to shine the light again on the Eden diet, the original diet. There's no question that the plant diet was the diet in the Garden of Eden. And that was the diet that God designed for man. And I think we're right to say that that's 
the best, the ideal diet for man. But that's my thoughts about why Jesus probably was not a vegetarian. Well, shouldn't we as Christians be followers of Christ and be following Jesus' example? And since his example is eating meat, shouldn't we follow his example and eat meat? Well, um, I would say we should follow Jesus' example in principle. Um, but that doesn't mean that we have to follow it in every particularity. Um, for example, um, uh, Stephanie, uh, living in Minnesota in the winter, um, she probably doesn't have to, to walk around wearing the same clothes that Jesus and his disciples wore. Um, and in the same way, I don't think we necessarily need to eat fish because Jesus did. I think Jesus was eating the best diet for that time and place, and uh, we should try to do likewise. Now, what about this teaching that I brought up earlier when Jesus says in Matthew 15 and verse 11, not that which goeth into the mouth defileth a man, but that which cometh out of the mouth, this defileth a man. And then people say, well, you're always focused on what's going into the mouth. And then there's other verses, you know, like Colossians 2.16, let no man judge you in meat or in drink, etc. Um, but focusing on this Matthew 15, if you look at the context, and I encourage you to look at that chapter, Jesus is not talking about health in this discussion. He's talking with the Pharisees. And he is not saying that what we eat does not affect our health. And he's, neither is he saying that our health is unimportant. Um, what he is saying is that outward shows, like um, hand washing, which was the issue, they were accusing his disciples of not doing proper ritual hand washing for cleanliness, that that is not true morality that true morality is a matter of the heart. And this is a theme throughout the Bible. If you look, for example, at Isaiah chapter 1 or Micah chapter 6, and God in the Old Testament is saying, it's not just the New Testament. God is saying, your new moons and Sabbaths are an abomination to me. All those sacrifices, they stink. I don't even want to see them. But he's the one that set up the Sabbaths and the sacrifices, right? And it's because they, they didn't have a clean heart. They were just doing this outward religion, but they were all wrong inside. And that's where he says, come, let us reason together. Put away your evil do deeds. Learn to do right. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow in Isaiah 1. And that's where he says in Micah 6, 8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord desire of thee but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God? So that's the whole context of Matthew chapter 15, is God saying it's not about outward show and it's not about outward practices. It's about the heart. That's what this is really all about. And so when adherence to any ritual system of purity, um, be that sacrifices in the Old Testament or ceremonial hand washing, or for that matter, if veganism or something like that becomes a system of ritual uh, purity to you, anytime that becomes that way, it's false religion. And um, what God wants is a changed heart and a desire to follow him in all of our ways, and that is true religion. Now this brings up the question of healthful living, sin, and salvation. Um, just wrapping up here. Um, so it seems from what we've talked about so far that we can say that health is very important and it's closely tied to the gospel and salvation, right? Then it brings up the question, is an act that is unhealthful tends to go against your physical health for example, eating meat, eating chocolate or ice cream, 
staying up late, studying, not sleeping for three days while helping earthquake victims in Haiti, staying up all night praying, prolonged fasting, having a rich or big dinner at a holiday or celebration. These are all examples of things that could be injurious to your health. Church potluck. Uh, All of these, are they sin? Um, Now, I'm not trying to equate all of those, you know. They could be quite different from one another. But are they sins? Is doing things that is bad for your health, is that a sin? I've heard a lot of talk about that before in some settings. I would say no, not in general. It's not a sin. I think we need to draw a a clear distinction here and say that sin is moral wrongdoing and acts that are quote, unhealthy, should not be acquainted with moral, uh, not acquainted, um, equated with uh, moral wrongdoing. Uh, Jesus did a couple of things in that list, for example, like staying up all night praying or prolonged fasting. 40 days of fasting weakens the body pretty well. Um, But certainly he did not sin. Nothing that he did was even remotely close to sin. So we know that those were not sin. Sin is the transgression of the moral law in 1 John 3, 4. However, we need to put a caveat to that. Um, Disobeying God, going against the leading of God, or failing to do what we know to be right are also sin. And so in some cases, if you understand that doing something that is unhealthy um, is against what God is leading you to do, it could be sin for you. Um, Anytime we do something, um, you know, going to to, um, Tarshish is not sin, but um, for Jonah it probably was, because God was telling him to do something else. So I think we need to be very careful and and not define being unhealthy or um, doing things that are are not healthy as sin. But we should also be sensitive to wanting to follow God and his leading in our lives and realize that even in the health sphere, going against God's leading could be sin for us. Now, Will living healthfully help us to be saved? Or will living unhealthfully cause us to be lost? To get at this, I'd like to read Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. Well, with the time, I I won't read the whole thing, but I encourage you to, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10. But I'll read the last three verses, 8 to 10. And it says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So how are we saved? by grace, through faith. And is that something that we do ourselves? It is the gift of God. We have to keep repeating that. Um, I know that, that we, we know it, hopefully, but we have to keep repeating that and never forget it and never let anything else confuse that. No good work um, can do anything to save us. But that verse said that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so that to to the extent that living healthfully is a good work, the same power that saves us by his grace also creates us anew in Christ Jesus to walk for the purpose of walking in good works. And so that's how it can fit. Now, a couple other thoughts on this point. 
it's not really as easy as it seems. So think about these points. Number one, bad choices and the consequences of those choices can lead us away from the grace of God, undermine our faith, and cause us to be lost in spite of that grace. Um, and that's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9:27, "I keep my body, uh, keep under my body, and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway." And in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 1 through 12, take a look at that. It's talking about the Israelites, and this is where it says all of these things were written as examples to us. Um, and on whom the ends of the world are come. And it talks about how they lost their way. They lost the grace of God that had saved them out of Egypt, had delivered them by a mighty hand through no work of their own. Did they contribute to parting the Red Sea, to you know, slaying the firstborn of Egypt and bringing all the plagues on Egypt and drowning Pharaoh's army? None of it. They had nothing to do with any of it. They just followed God. But all these temptations came their way, uh, tem including temptations of the flesh and the appetites, and they were lost. They didn't even make it into the promised land. So that needs to be an example for us. And then verse 12 says, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. So I stand in the grace of God, but... Um, but take heed lest I fall, and that grace be wasted. Number two, when Jesus was asked what to do to be saved, he never gave a formula. He never said, confess my name, believe in your heart, and you will be saved. That comes elsewhere in the Bible, but he said weird things like, go and sell all of your goods to the poor. Was going and selling your goods to the poor save you? No, it doesn't save you. But why did he say that when, when the guy was asking how to be saved? Because he was doing a heart diagnosis, and he knew that for him, following Jesus, submitting to Jesus, meant a choice, and he just went right to the core. And so for us, some of these health issues can be that type of heart issue too. So the choice of faith comes in many different um, sets of clothing, okay? It could look like health sometimes. But it's still just grace that saves us. Um, don't forget holism. We talked about it, that at the beginning. So um, if you don't think that the physical body has anything to do with our understanding and accepting the gospel, then go up to the ICU to somebody who has sepsis and try to give them a Bible study. Or, you know, go over to the psych ward and try to give somebody a Bible study there, or someone with cere cerebral palsy. And um, it's not going to work. Now, thank God that he is a perfect judge and that he figures out how to save people in spite of these inabilities. But clearly, our health affects our ability to understand the gospel. And then appetite is one of the central things that has to do with health. A lot of our health habits have to do with appetite, food being one of the biggest. And appetite was, that's how Eve fell and Adam. I mean, it was related to food. That wasn't the only temptation there. There was pride and all those other things too. Um, and that was one of Jesus' big temptations in the wilderness was appetite for food as well. And so, and then in 1 John 2.16, it says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. These are the great temptations. And the lust of the flesh are our appetites that has so much to do with health is one of the greatest temptations. So in conclusion, I know this has been a little bit theoretical and a little bit on the deep side, not too exciting, but um, I do hope that this has given you a little better sense of the health message 
and the foundation of our biblical understanding of health. And that is rooted in the unified nature of man, the holistic nature of man, that God created us as whole beings, and that whatever we do to affect one part has consequences that affects our whole being. And we need to take care of our whole being. And um, we interact with God in our physical bodies. I hope uh, we've also seen that even though Jesus doesn't do a lot of health lectures, he really is our best example. If we think about his incarnation, his ministry, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, that comes packed with a real understanding of health and physicality and the gospel. And I hope that we can see that while we are saved only by grace, that we really ignore health to our peril. And uh, so I hope this has been helpful to you a little bit in getting this big picture, asking some of the tough questions about our understanding of health in the Bible. And I hope uh, some of that can be helpful to you in sharing with others as well. Um, So in the next lecture, we're gonna shift gears uh, completely. We'll go to the PowerPoint and we'll talk about actual practical things that we can do to be healthy. So uh, let's have a concluding prayer. Father in heaven, I pray that you would give us each a better understanding of your word in general and uh, this topic of health and how it uh, fits in the big picture of your creation of us and our salvation. Um, We thank you that um, we are whole people and we pray that um, we will learn to to treat our bodies well and respect them and offer them to you as living sacrifices and use them for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.